Okay, we're going to read from 1 Kings chapter 19. The, uh, the verses will appear behind me on the screen, so if you don't have a Bible, don't worry. This morning's uh, word is entitled, Getting Back on Track. I believe that God wants to speak to us this morning. He's already been speaking to us in the worship, and I believe he wants to speak to us through his word. Okay, this is what it says from verse 8. He reached Horeb. I'm I'm, uh, starting at the end of verse 8. He reached Horeb, that's Elijah, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mehaloah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. We're going to be looking and considering that passage this morning, because I believe God wants to get us back on track. A number of uh, years ago when uh, I was in school, it is a number of years ago now when I was in school, I remember uh, being part of uh, the Christian Union and I remember this teacher saying, it would be really good if you put on an event. There's uh, someone we know, he's uh, someone I know, he's a really good ventriloquist. Christian ventriloquist, it would be really good, um, the kids would love it, um, he's, uh, it's not cheesy in any way, and uh, uh, put something on, if you put an event on, I'll see if I can get him to come along. So, um, being one of the leaders there, I remember myself and a guy called Phil, um, going round at the sixth form block, because the school had a sixth form block, and um, uh, going round saying, come on guys, it would be really good, we've got this Christian uh, ventriloquist, he's really going to be entertaining, you'll love it. And uh, the amazing thing was, we gathered something around uh, 200 uh, people along to, uh, to this meeting. And we're all sitting in uh, the South Hall in Alpha Comprehensive School, and uh, uh, the, this guy gets up 
and uh, all, virtually all of the sixth form have turned up. And so I'm sitting there in the middle uh, uh, of, uh, uh, of a row. And as the meeting uh, starts, as he gets up and he comes on stage with his little puppet, he starts to dance around and sing this little song. This, it was childlike. Jesus loves you and was doing this with a puppet. And as he, as he carries on, I'm, I, I could just feel myself slowly sinking in my seat, going lower and lower. It was just one of those tumbleweed moments where you could just, the silence was deafening. It was just awfully embarrassing. It was terrible. And uh, ever afterwards, we, uh, uh, we managed to get through the meeting. It, was, it really was just one of my low moments. And um, we, uh, I remember coming into the sixth form block, and I thought, oh, well, thank goodness that's over. But for weeks afterwards, whenever Phil and I came into the sixth form block, all the sixth formers would sing this little song. It was terrible. It was a really, really bad day at the office. And, you know, Elijah similarly had had a bad day. We'd, we saw two weeks ago how he thought he'd seen a breakthrough on Mount Carmel with a nation turning back to God from Baal worship. The people fell to the ground crying out, the Lord, he is God. And yet within 24 hours, he was faced with the reality that nothing had changed. Ahab and his wife Jezebel were just as godless as ever and, were even, and now were even more determined uh, to finish him off. Elijah is terrified. He runs for his life. And he even contemplates God taking his life as a better option. John shared last week how God graciously came to Elijah and meets his physical and emotional needs. He then takes him back to basics at Horeb, the mountain of God, literally God's place. You know, Elijah had lost his way. He'd been derailed, but God was about to get him back on track. Elijah had been God's mouthpiece to a nation. He'd prayed for a drought, and it hadn't rained for three and a half years. He'd seen firsthand the miracles of God. He'd seen God provide for him miraculously. He'd even seen a dead boy being raised to life following his prayer. He'd even confronted the king and confronted the religious hierarchy of the day. And yet now we find him withdrawn in a cave in the middle of nowhere. He's not the man he once was. No doubt he was thinking his best years were behind him. God will never want to use me again. You know, I believe there are many people who feel like that here this morning. Maybe you've served God faithfully in the past. Maybe not as dramatically as Elijah. You've seen God answer prayers remarkably for you from time to time. And yet this morning, metaphorically, you're in a cave. Maybe it's for similar reasons to Elijah. Maybe you're full of fears and anxieties. Maybe it was the opposition. You found it too intense. Perhaps disappointment at things not turning out the way that you had hoped or planned. Maybe you're disillusioned because leaders or the church just didn't recognize what you had to give. Maybe you just feel surplus to requirements. 
Perhaps you've slipped up in your personal life and ended up doing things you wish you had never done. Like Elijah, you've not completely run away from God, but you're hiding in a cave. And as a result, you come to church, God's place, week after week, but inside you're sitting in your cave thinking, I'm useless, God will never want to use me again. I remember many years ago, I was 23, I'd backslidden in my teenage years, I'd drifted away from God, I'd got into all sorts of stuff. And I remember feeling like that, God will never want to use me again. I felt like I was in a cave. And I remember someone prophetically coming and speaking a word over me and saying, Steve, I see you, it's like you're in a room. And the room is locked and there is no windows but there's a door. But the door's locked and you're on the inside and you can't get out. But I see the key is in the inside of the door. And actually all you need to do is unturn the key and let yourself out. You're the one who's holding yourself in prison. It's not God. And the verse they shared with me was from Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14. And that's going to come up on the screen behind. And this is what it says. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. And that moment, it was a key moment for me, where God drew me out, and I found over these years that God has taken me on. And I stand here this morning, a trophy of grace. A trophy of grace. God's, I'm here because of God's grace. It's not because I'm any good. It's because God is good. I'm not finished. He's not finished with me yet. I'm still a work in progress. But I am a trophy of God's grace. God wants to do that for you this morning. You see, I feel there are many people, including, I believe there are men here in their 30s, 40s and 50s, who've literally given up on themselves in God. You're a Christian, you love God, but stepping out of your cave, taking risks again for God, couldn't be further from your mind. You hear week by week the wonder of what Jesus accomplished for you, yet it doesn't motivate you to action anymore. This morning, are you sitting comfortably inside your little cave? Because of bad experiences, demonically inspired opposition, wounds from people you trusted, or maybe it's your own personal failures and mistakes. I believe God wants to speak to you this morning, just as he spoke to Elijah. And the first thing that God wants to say to you is this. He wants to say, what are you doing here, Elijah? God is so gracious He always gives another chance. Hallelujah. One commentator says of God that he's the God of the second chance. You see that all through the Bible. So you read the story of Samson in the Old Testament. uh, Even if you don't come to church normally, you know the story of Samson and Delilah. You may have even seen the film with Victor Mature. 
Samson, the one-time hero of Israel, who ends up languishing in a Philistine prison as a result of his own sexual weaknesses. His God-given strength is lost as his hair is cut. His hair is the sign of his strength. And he's left cruelly blinded, going round and round in prison, grinding flour. Do you feel like that this morning? Unable to see where you're going and seemingly going round and round in circles. And yet we read of Samson, the hair on his head began to grow again. God had not finished with him. There was more that he wanted Samson to do. Perhaps you're like Jonah, disobedient old Jonah. God tells him to go and preach to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah gets on the first boat going in the opposite direction. He ends up in the belly of a big fish. Maybe you feel like him. Maybe you feel you've shipwrecked your faith through disobedience. Be encouraged this morning. It says of Jonah, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. In Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. Maybe you feel like Peter. You've really let God down. Peter denied Jesus not just once. He denied him three times. He was so devastated by what he'd done. He bitterly regretted it. I'm sure he felt that Jesus would never trust him again and he was finished. Maybe you feel like that. You bitterly regret something you've done, letting God down. And you're sitting in your cave, constantly allowing the mental DVD of what you did to run through your mind. Thinking, God is finished with me. Jesus wants to come to you this morning, just as he did to Peter in John chapter 21. And he wants to recommission you. We heard last week that God's question to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah, was an invitation from a loving father. It wasn't a rebuke, it was an invitation. What are you doing here, my son? The next thing to notice in that phrase is that God calls him by name. As you read through the previous times that God has spoken to Elijah, on every occasion he doesn't mention his name. But on this occasion, when Elijah has slipped up and he's sitting in the back of a cave, God speaks to him by name. I remember in school, most of, uh, uh, as a boy in school, most of the boys had nicknames. Oftentimes, it was related to your nickname. So while I was in school, I was always known as Chicky. All through school, no one ever called me Steve or Stephen. I was just known as Chicky all through school. Other boys sometimes had nicknames that related to their character or things that they were done. I always remember in school there was a boy, uh, Ian Stevens, but we never called him that. He was always known as Giggles. And I remember being on a bus, a minibus, going on a football trip saying... Um, uh, playing an away game and saying, why are you called Giggles? And then the boys piled on him, put him him down in the middle of the floor in the minibus and just tickled him and he started giggling and it was really funny and uh, and that's why he was called Giggles. And uh, I understood then and um, never asked the question again and he was grateful that I didn't um, because it was pretty miserable for him having that done to him. You know, likewise, names were important in Bible times. They told you something about the person or their background. Elijah's name meant 
The Lord is my God. The Lord is my God. Maybe God used Elijah's name as a means to catch his attention. Maybe he wasn't, just wasn't listening in the back of the cave. When my dad used to say to me, Stephen, come here, I knew I was in trouble. When my dad said to me, Stephen, David, come here, I knew that was time to head for the hills. I, I'm not sure that was the case. I'm not sure that's why God used his, uh, Elijah's name. I think the, the real reason he used his name, uh, Elijah, was because I believe God wanted to remind him of his identity. He wanted to remind him of his heritage. He wanted to remind him of the relationship that they had. Elijah was his servant. God is speaking to you personally this morning. Because he wants you to know he's still your God and Father. He wants to remind you that he loves you. That you're precious to him. That he delights in you. He delights in you. That's what it says in Psalm chapter 18 verse 19. He wants to remind you of your identity as his son or his daughter. You're a child of God. You're precious to him. However far you've run, whatever mistakes you've made, however harsh the opposition has been, he is still your God. He has not abandoned you. He's still working out his purposes for you and in your life. It says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God will bring about his purposes for your life if you'll let him. He is calling you by name this morning. Terry Virgo puts it like this. Elijah had come to a place where he said of himself, I'm nothing. I'm hopeless. I'm an emotional mess. I might as well be dead. But God said to him, No, you are Elijah. You are not a nothing. You are a person and you have a name and a history. Not only that, you're my servant. You're accountable to me. So what are you doing here? You have an identity. And with that comes accountability. And let the awareness of that this morning stir you to come out of your cave and spur you to action. As John said last week, God is inviting us to face up to facts. As Pauline said, tell God how you're feeling. It's okay. He knows what's happened. He knows all about your circumstances. Nothing you say to him will come as a surprise. So whatever you need to say, tell him. His desire is that you start talking to him again. Elijah expresses his frustrations. And without doubt, there's probably a lot of truth in what he says. He really was zealous for God. He really was a zealous man for God. And yet his perspective is somewhat coloured. There's more than a hint of self-pity and exaggeration in what he says. And yet God doesn't correct him. He doesn't chastise him. doesn't beat him over the head. You see, God wasn't surprised or disappointed by any of this. 
Let me encourage you this morning to come and be honest before God. It's part of the healing process. The second thing God wants to say this morning is this. He wants to say to you, come out of your cave. Come out of your cave. I remember occasions when my sister used to lock herself in the bathroom and wouldn't come out because of fear. And I'd be banging on the door and I'd say, come on out, Alison. And she'd say, I'm not coming out, you'll hit me. And I'd say, I won't hit you. She'd say, you will, I know you will. I'd say, no, no, I won't. Just don't tell mum I did that. Please, just come out, it'd be okay. And so eventually she would tentatively open the door and I'd say, you do that and I'll really thump you, you tell her. God isn't like that with us. When God is saying, come out, he's not like me. He's not like me. He isn't going to whack you over the head. You see, the key for Elijah is he needs to come out of the cave. Notice God doesn't go in. Elijah has to walk out of the cave. And the same is true for you. You can stay in there for the rest of your life if you want to. It won't be God's best for you. Maybe you've already been there for years. God is pleading with you, come out into his presence. And that requires you to take a step of faith. It's risky stepping out of your cave because you feel so safe there. You need to take a risk of trusting God. Maybe this morning you've come and, uh, and you, you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ. You've never given your life to him. And you uh, metaphorically are in a cave and you're trying to run your own life and it's a bit dark and you're not quite sure where you're going. God's saying to you this morning, come out of your cave. Come and encounter me. I, can, I, I want to give you a life that's filled with joy and excitement. It doesn't mean there won't be any problems. But I want to take you on a joy-filled adventure. Just come out of your cave. Come and give your life to me. Put your trust in my son, Jesus. God's saying, come out. Come out of your cave. You know, Elijah was used to awesome displays of God's presence. He'd seen God shut up the heavens so that it literally didn't rain. He'd seen God send fire from heaven on Mount Carmel. He'd known God's power fall on him, so he literally outran a a chariot. We see that at the end of chapter 18. So why didn't Elijah come out of the cave when he heard the wind, when he felt the earthquake, when he heard the fire, sensed the fire outside? Why didn't Elijah come out? Somehow, Elijah knew that those things were manifestations of God's presence And yet somehow he knew that God wasn't in them. That's something we need to learn. Too many people, too many of us are running around looking for manifestations. We're looking for the wind and the fire and the earthquake. And yet all the time God is in the gentle whisper. See, all too Often we ignore the gentle whisper because we're looking for something far more dramatic. You know, when God's word is his, gen- is his gentle whisper, I believe. When God's word is clear, you don't need 
to hear an audible voice, the audible voice of God. God's word is gentle whisper to us day by day. That's what we need. The problem is, if you don't read your Bible, if you don't spend time praying, you're not going to hear the gentle, tender whisper of God speaking to you through his word. If all the time you're looking for the dramatic manifestations of God, you're going to miss out on what God has for you. You're going to miss out on his gentle, tender whispers to you. Do you hear God's gentle voice calling you into his presence this morning? Will you respond to him? We also see that as Elijah takes a step of faith to go out of the cave into the presence of God, he comes with the right attitude. He doesn't come truculently with a chip on his shoulder, blaming God. He comes out reverently. He puts his cloak over his face because he knows that he's not worthy to see God. He comes with great humility. Like Moses before him, he knows that he comes out to stand on holy ground. When we come into the presence of God, we should come with humility. God resists the proud, James tells us, but gives grace to the humble. Not one of us has any reason to be proud before God. None of us can rely on our own efforts to please him. Our salvation is all due to God's grace towards us. It's wonderful. Elijah humbles himself before God and so should we. Sometimes this means we're going to walk with a limp. What do I mean by that? Some years ago, I went to the orthodontist. And uh, as uh, the orthodontist was looking at my teeth, his name was Mr. Burks. And um, sadly, Burke by name, Burke by nature. Because he said to me, um, uh, as a young lad, teenage lad, he said, he said, Steve, you've got that teeth. And I was sort of thinking, well, that's a pot calling the kettle black, isn't it? Because he had really big teeth that stuck out the front. And he's telling me I've got buck teeth. I mean, sometimes, so, you just sort of felt he could have just been a little bit more gracious, a little bit kinder, the way he said it. But no, he told me I had buck teeth. You know, the story in the Old Testament about Jacob... Jacob wrestling with God, and you read that in Genesis chapter 32. He encounters God in a place called Peniel. It tells us that Jacob wrestled with God and his hip was put out. Previously, Jacob was known as a swindler and a cheat. But this was the moment he came out of his cave and his life turned around. Yet afterwards, he walked with a limp. As people who've encountered the grace of God, we should walk with a bit of a limp. We should walk with humility. We should be walk understanding who we are and what we were like and what God's done for us. That will stop us being proud. That will cause us to walk reverently like Elijah did. Elijah didn't come out and came out and said, Well, I'm Elijah and I did all of this stuff. Elijah came out a broken man, humbly before God. God wants us to be a humble people. He wants us to be a humble people. Maybe you've made mistakes. Acknowledge your mistakes before God. Be humble before him. 
God repeats his tender questioning of Elijah. Why are you here, my boy? And Elijah gives exactly the same answer. He has much to learn, doesn't he? Yet God still loves him and wants to recommission him. Be encouraged. You may not be perfect and all sorted out, but God still wants to use you. Still wants to use you. That's amazing. God wants to use you. Hallelujah. Finally, I believe God wants to say this to us this morning. He wants to say this. He wants to say it's time for action. I had a friend uh, while I was uh, in my teens. Uh, went to, I was in university with him at the same time. And his name was Cookie. And uh, I remember Cookie doing uh, his driving test, failed his driving test numerous times. Eventually passed, I think it was about the fifth or sixth go, did his um, uh, a maths O-level, desperately wanted to get his maths O-level, failed five or six times, but he just kept at it. Same with his uh, degree, really struggled, uh, sorry, in his A-levels, really struggled with his A-levels. Went to university. I remember being, sharing a house with him. And I remember him coming to me and he was doing this degree course. And he said, Steve, he said, can you help me with my essay? And um, he said, can you read it and correct it for me? Because he said, I'm really not very good at writing. And so I'd sort of sit and I'd, I remember helping him with his essay and correcting his essay and with his spell. He said, oh, Steve, you're so good at this sort of stuff. Oh, thanks ever so much. Do you know what? He kept on and on. Got a PhD. I tell you now, he is one now, one of the most uh, well thought of consultants in his field because he never gave up. He kept on going. He didn't sit in the back of his cave at the first sign of failure. He was prepared to keep on going. God wants us to have something of that spirit about us. It's time to get back onto frontline duty. God gives Elijah some new commands. First of all, he tells him to go back the way he came. You know, repentance always means a change of direction. Repentance is a Bible word. It means going in the opposite direction to the one that you've been going. And Elijah had to go back where he'd come from. Maybe you need to do that. Sometimes... It involves repentance, involves, it's a Bible word, it's called restitution. If you read Luke chapter 19, you see the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a, a swindler and a thief, he's a tax collector. And Zacchaeus, as part of his repentance, he gives back some of the money that he's got from dishonest gain. Maybe you need to put some things right. But God wants you to go back to where you once were. God recommissions Elijah. He has new tasks for him to complete. There are more things for him to do. You are not finished. God still has things for you to do, however old you are. You're not finished. Hallelujah. As Terry Virgo says, we dare not become so bound by self-pity that we lose our holy fear of God and stop serving him. God identifies two areas that he speaks to Elijah about, where he wants Elijah specifically to get involved. The first one is in the realm of the prophetic. That's something that Elijah's been involved in before. He knows a bit about. But he's called to anoint two kings 
And uh, he's called to anoint a prophet to follow after him. It's a very prophetic role. I believe that there are some people here that God wants to stir up in the prophetic. Some of you need to be stirred up in the gifts of the Spirit. Too many of you have had experiences in the past and you've withdrawn into your cave. Maybe you felt criticism. Maybe you felt that you were ignored. Maybe no one responded to what you felt God was saying. And you've wondered whether you really heard God clearly in the first place. There is space for us all to move in the gifts of the Spirit. God wants us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 1. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. If you haven't listened to it, if you weren't here, go and get the DVD, uh, the, the CD rather, of John's teaching on gifts of the Spirit at the first of the Going Deeper series. Listen to it. We've got John and Julian Adams in a couple of weeks' time are going to be imparting something to us about the prophetic. They're going to be meetings not to be missed. Make every effort to be there. God wants you to be stirred in the things of the Spirit. And the other thing that God speaks to Elijah about is discipleship and training. You see, Elijah slipped into the mistake we all slip into. We all think that we're, uh, if we don't show up, God's plans and purposes are going to fall. That's not the case. Elijah, it isn't just about Elijah. A.W. Pink makes the point well when he says, Elijah was only one arrow in God's quiver. And God says to Elijah, Elijah, there's, there's others out there who have tr- trust in me. And I want you to get hold of Elisha. And I want you to train him and disciple him. See, God's more interested in teams of people working together than he, has in, he is in one-man ministries. God tells Elijah to train up Elisha. Discipling and training those who follow after us is crucial. Is God wanting you to get involved with the children's work? With the Brook Street kids? With Engage or Emerge? With the 18s to 20s? Discipling and training young men and women in the plans and purposes of God is of inestimable value. That's why we're running a course called Our High Calling. Because we want... uh, Women to grow up in their calling and know that God has plans and purpose for them. That's, it's an excellent course. It's going really well. We want to be people who train up and release young men and women. We close the chapter with God telling Elijah he will have a remnant of 7,000 7, believers. This is what one commentator says, is the equivalent of Jesus' statement, I will build my church. However bleak things look, grace always wins. Hallelujah. The grace of God will do it. God is reminding Elijah he is in control. Jezebel and Ahab can do what they like. They can make all the threats they like, but God will win. Hallelujah. His plans and purposes always come to completion. Hallelujah. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news. So I draw to a close. 24 years ago, at Spring Harvest, 
A 23-year-old young man sat in his cave, sat at the back of a cave, thinking he was finished, that God had written him off. And a guy called Dennis Birch got up and he preached on this very passage about Elijah, come out of your cave. And I remember that morning, running to God, running out of my cave. And do you know what? I have never looked back. God recommissioned me. He changed my destiny. He can do that for you this morning. Have you been in a cave? God is graciously giving you another chance. You have a rich inheritance. Even if you feel like you've squandered and wasted it, God wants you to come home. He wants you to come out of your cave. He's not in the wind and the earthquake or the fire. He wants you to come and hear his gentle, tender whisper to you this morning. If you're not a believer, I want to encourage you to come and stand in the presence of God and experience his great love for you. Come and appreciate the wonder of what Jesus has done for you by tying on the cross that you might have a relationship with Almighty God. Come humbly. Don't come with a chip on your shoulder. Leave all that behind. Walk with a bit of a limp this morning. Come into his presence with a bit of a limp. doesn't matter how badly you failed. He wants to receive you. God is urging you. It's time for action. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Return to your first love for him. There are exciting days ahead for each and every one of us. We all have a part to play in God's great purposes. Hallelujah.